It's believed that Pinot Noir is 2,000 years old. It's uh, thought that it was described by some of the Romans who came to Gaul, France, um, in uh, the first century. If you've ever asked a winery owner to talk about his wine of choice, you're likely to have been treated to a rapturous ode. What I like about it is that it's, it's challenging, it's, it's subtle, but when it's good, it's really good. So it's sort of worth the struggle. What you're less likely to have heard is that global warming could pose a threat to cool climate grapes like the esteemed Pinot Noir. It's really a very special grape. It doesn't flourish in a lot of climates. It's not a very uh, forgiving grape. It tends to like cooler spots. David Graves began his pursuit of the perfect Pinot Noir 25 years ago at Saintsbury, the winery he co-owns in Napa's Carneros region. The marine fog that enters the bay blankets Carneros and makes it an ideal place to grow good Pinot Noir. But if some climate researchers' predictions come true, by the end of this century, vintners might not be able to grow Pinot Noir in Napa Valley. Perhaps in downtown San Francisco or Golden Gate Park, for instance, uh, the Berkeley Hills, all areas that are really probably too cold for viticulture now, if it got dramatically warmer, those might be the last places you could grow the cool climate varieties. If you think that's far-fetched, consider this. Researchers estimate that in 100 years, there will be so many days with temperatures above 95 degrees in Napa Valley that many of today's top quality grapes may be grown in New England and the Pacific Northwest instead. It's a fact of chemistry. To produce good wine, you just can't have extreme heat or extreme cold. As grapes grow and ripen, they need heat followed by a cooling off period. The heat produces the sugars that will become alcohol. The cooling slows this process long enough for the compounds that produce the flavors in wine to develop. Temperatures above 95 degrees without subsequent cooling degrade compounds called anthocyanins, which give red wines their deep color and contribute to their complex flavors. As temperatures increase, the anthocyanins are, are impacted negatively. Their, their chemical structure, the way their bonds are formed, actually split and fall apart. Those chemical elements are literally dropping out of the wine and going from a darker color to lighter colors. Another requirement to produce good wine is that the vines don't freeze. Today, winter evenings in the Napa and Sonoma Valleys are mild enough that there are practically no freezes that damage the buds. But it wasn't always like this. When he was a researcher at the University of Montana, NASA scientist Rama Namani examined the Napa and Sonoma Valleys weather during the 50-year period ending in 1997. His team discovered that the number of frosts had dropped from 20 per year in the 1950s to close to none in the 90s. If you don't have frost, all of a sudden you become subtropical. If you have frost, you become temperate. So in the, in the 50 years, Napa Valley moved from about temperate to about subtropical. When Namani and his colleagues set out to understand what had led to this subtropical climate, they didn't have to look far. The warming of the land had coincided with a warming of the Pacific Ocean. As the ocean heated up, more water vapor, in the form of fog, drifted onto the land. 
once the water vapor is over the land, it kind of acts as a blanket, just like the greenhouse gases, you know, water vapor is as a greenhouse gas. So that is what is keeping the, the night minimum temperatures up. So you can see the connection between what happens over the ocean, what happens over Napa Valley. Surprisingly, Namani's team also discovered that the Pacific Ocean hasn't been warming up steadily. Instead, every 20 to 30 years, it warms up or cools down in a phenomenon called the Pacific Decadal Oscillation. As it turns out, in 1976, the Pacific Ocean began one of its warm periods. This proved to be a boon for Napa's wine growers. If you look at the, even the Napa Valley record, prior to this warmer you know, period, uh, they had terrible winters, you know, with a lot of frost, a lot of freezes. If you drive around Napa Valley, you see all those big fans, you know, in, in the middle of the vineyards. So all those were set up in, a, in the early 70s to protect against the frost. See, they put all this infrastructure of, you know, churning the air so that, you know, that doesn't result in, in frost. And in just a matter of few years, they never had to use them because the, the temperatures started going up. Since the warming of the Pacific Ocean began in 1976, rising temperatures helped Napa and Sonoma to start growing world-renowned wines. Their high-priced grapes now contribute close to half of the value of California's $1.8 billion a year wine grape harvest. Clearly, rising temperatures aren't always a bad thing, and global warming doesn't necessarily follow a linear path. So what lies ahead for the region? You know, we have done a lot of global observations, global modeling, and global predictions. But the next step is really, you know, what happens to these unique niche areas like Napa Valley. And I think it, it takes, you know, 10, 20 years more. What researchers do know is that one of global warming's most daunting challenges for California farmers will be water availability. The Sierra Nevada snowpack, which fills reservoirs every summer, already has begun to melt earlier each year. And state hydrologists say it could decline 90% by 2100. To deal with water scarcity, David Graves and farmers around California are collecting rainwater to use in times of drought. They're also using technology to determine precisely when to irrigate and how much. But at UC Davis, researchers are preparing for a completely different scenario. They're looking at new kinds of grapes that could replace the cool climate Pinot Noirs and Chardonnays of today. This is a collection of um, unusual varieties, at least unusual to California, that are somewhat more designed for warmer climates. This is Marsan from the south of uh, France in the Rhone region. It's a, a white grape. Uh, we have it growing here. Most of these warmer climate varieties we're looking at are white varieties. Uh, trying to look at their adaptability to hotter temperatures. Uh, then we have some Torontes, which is a Spanish grape grown widely in Argentina. Uh, we have some wines for that to show you today. Torontes is not your parents' wine, unless that is your parents are from Spain or Argentina. But it could very well turn out to be your children's wine. Well, the first wine um, at Torontes, Torontes is... Uh... Welcome to the wine tasting of the future. This wine um, has very aromatic characters in the bouquet and some citrus and grapefruit characters, and it has a nice spicy finish. 
It takes three to four years before a vine starts to produce grapes, so replacing varieties is a big investment for winemakers. And new varieties present other challenges. Say you find this spicy new white wine on the wine list. Do you know how to pronounce its name? This wine, we say in, Spain, in Spanish, we call it torrontes. You emphasize, you put the stress on the last syllable, torrontes. Now, you might be ready to order that new wine, but wine growers are only starting to envision the vineyard of the future. You need to be very flexible about your approach. You need to look very far and wide for varieties that may, may be successful in the climates of 2080. You need to be very skillful at adapting to changing conditions. You have to be very skillful at adopting new technologies. It's pretty clear that change is the constant in this whole thing going forward. While you're waiting, you might want to drink up that Pinot Noir. Salud. Goes down, stays down. <laughs>